Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. If you follow the news at all, you know that Republicans have spent a lot of time lately whining about cancel culture. In fact, one evening last week, House Republicans spent hours complaining about the cancel of Pepe Le Pew, Dr. Seuss, and Goya Foods, among others. And then the very next morning, they voted to cancel one of their own, to dump number three House leader, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, because she refused to accept Donald Trump's big lie that he and not Joe Biden won the last election. Cheney vows she's not going away quietly. She said she'll do anything she can to prevent Trump from getting close to the Oval Office again, but her ouster has widened the rift among Republicans about where the Republican Party goes from here. Must it remain tied to Trump, or is it time to move on without him? Among leading Republicans who argue it's time to move on without Trump, and one of the founders of a new anti-Trump movement among Republicans is former Congresswoman Barbara Comstock, who served two terms representing Virginia's 10th Congressional District. We caught up with Congresswoman Comstock from her home in Northern Virginia. Congresswoman, so uh, let me ask you first, what was your reaction to the action by the House caucus last week? Uh, to boost boot uh, Liz Cheney out of her post of leadership in the caucus. Well, I was uh, clearly, you know, not not pleased with that. I think it was a mistake. Um, I have known Liz for over twenty years, and she's a person of great conviction. And since January sixth, when she spoke out very forcefully about, um, you know how tragic that was and how all the unconstitutional behavior and comments by the president. But even before that, when she was making clear that, you know, the election had been settled and Trump lost, I, I know given her district, she was very brave about that. And I really think she is a um, woman for all seasons to sort of paraphrase, you know, I'm mm -hmm. a man for all seasons, but she's a woman for all seasons. And I'm very proud of her. And I, I think the caucus will come to see it was a mistake when you have people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Green still there, who very deservedly should be exiting the caucus, uh, much less have their voices be leading on anything. Was Liz not uh, not conservative enough for some Republicans? Well, it clearly wasn't anything about conservative versus moderate. Uh, because Liz is obviously very conservative, as you know, but the litmus test is the Trump loyalty litmus test. And nobody can ever be loyal enough to Trump to pass that test, witnessed by, you know, how he 
fires his own staff and then they come crawling back. I'll be more loyal. Mm -hmm. Went through all these chiefs of staff, probably a number of whom didn't even vote for him. I think they were public about that. So this is somebody who, uh, in the former president, who makes it all about them. And to have a litmus test on that, I think is very problematic and and a huge mistake. And And I would like to distinguish that I think the Senate has handled this very differently from the House, because in the Senate, their leadership, you know, Mitch McConnell, John Thune, John Cornyn, um, Roy Blunt, Ernie, uh, Joni Ernst, none of them voted um, to decert, you know, to not, they all voted to certify the election. Whereas in the House, now you have the leadership all opposed certification. So I think there is a big difference between that and certainly the big lie that the election was stolen and that even as recently as yesterday, maybe today, I haven't looked at the little blog that the Mar-a-Lago guy puts out, mm-hmm. but um, he's claiming that this, you know, Arizona is going to be overturned and Georgia and others. And, you know, this is absurd. I mean, it's, it's, it would be comical if it weren't really tragic. And I think it's still dangerous. And that's certainly would associate myself with Liz Cheney's comments on her concern is currently that this is dangerous. And it is dangerous when you keep telling somebody that they've, you know, election has been stolen and that illegal things are uh, going on. And, and, and I do feel sorry for some of these, not, not any of the insurrectionists who came on January 6th, but some of these people who continue to send their 10 and $25 to these scammers who are pitching them that, and they believe it. And now many of these people who were arrested at the insurrection and and find out, well, gee, you know, uh, no help for me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Donald Trump isn't coming back to do, do me any favors. And they're now realizing how foolish it is. But there's a lot of people out there who are being scammed and fooled by these lies. But they're also dangerous to our body politic. We know um, members of Congress right now have an increased death threats against um, many of them. Um, you know, you have Marjorie Greene. You know, kind of, I guess, according to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, pretty much stalking her and certainly conducting herself in a way that she'd probably get fired in most workplaces today. So all of these things are very troubling. And I think they're at a time when Donald Trump's stock, I think, actually is going down um, among Republicans in general, including Republicans like me who never voted for him, Republicans who may have left the party. But his popularity is now down at 32 percent favorable. Mm-hmm. It's unfavorable, you know, up in the 60s, I guess that would be, or high 50s at least. Um, so... I think his he's dissipating as a force, yet at the same time, the House somehow is afraid of him. And I, I think it's um, misguided. You use the word dangerous. It's a word that uh, Congresswoman Cheney uses often, too. What do you see the danger uh, to the country? What do you see the danger to the Republican Party? Well, you know, I, I look at, you know, I have my former legislative director now works for Adam Kinzinger. And, you know, Kinzinger, you know, Adam, on that day, January 6th, he told his staff to stay home because all these lies and leading up to that, he was very concerned that something, you know, I don't think anyone ever imagined it would be this bad, but you knew it was going to be bad. You know, when I was on the Hill, um, you know, 
Brett Kavanaugh's nomination was going on. And you saw some pretty angry people who were, you know, they sometimes they could be frightening the way they would go at people and do things. But January 6th was unlike anything else. And so I actually that morning, I, I kind of felt like 9-11. Um, before anything happened, I called my family. I, I, mean, I texted my family and former staff and said, please don't go down there today. I am very worried about what's going to happen. And because of the ongoing threats, because of the audience that the former president keeps speaking to, I worry that there still could be other things. And when you read about the threats, um, that is obviously very dangerous. And that's why it's very important. And I'm very supportive of the January 6th commission, very proud of my former colleague, John Katko, to have put together that bipartisan um, support for that bill. So I do expect it'll get through the House. I do think there will be support, bipartisan support over in the Senate. Also, clearly you'll have people like Mitt Romney, probably people like Ben Sass and others um, supporting that also, because I think we need to get to the bottom of who was involved in this, how they organized this beforehand. I've been calling for, you know, the former president's phone records to be subpoenaed kind of from January 7th on, because you need to know what was he doing at that time when mm -hmm. the Capitol was under siege. And, and I just, my heart breaks for these Capitol Hill police officers when you have sitting Republican members who are dismissing it as, oh, it's just like tourists. When we know, you know, people died, that officers were beaten, that they were traumatized. You know, you had several suicides afterwards. So this was this was really tragic, and that needs to be recognized and addressed in a way that's appropriate for something so out of bounds with anything we've ever seen. I mean, I was an intern on Capitol Hill. I was a staffer. Then I was a member. Nothing like that that I could... And even when I warned people to stay away, I never imagined it would be that bad. You know, um, there are two facts that I find, but what puzzles me, there are two facts which I don't think you could really deny. One is that Joe Biden and not Donald Trump won the 2020 election. It's not the end of the world. It's just a fact. And secondly, that a mob of insurrectionists stormed the Capitol on January 6th and did extensive damage, and as you pointed out, cost lives of Capitol Hill policemen. Why can't some of the Republican members just accept those two facts? Or, or I guess the other question is, why do they continue to deny those facts like the former president does? Well, I think for some of them, and again, I think it's largely in the House, they're, they're afraid that he'll come in and upset their primary, that he'll, that either he or some of his minions who are basically out trying to make a buck, you know, working on an election because they maybe haven't been gainfully employed, um, that they'll come in and and uh, try and play in their primary or go after them. And I again, I think that's misguided because, you know, you've got to stand up to bullies. You can't cower to them. And that's, you know, Trump has been a bully from the beginning and he governed as a bully. And now he's behaving as a bully as a former president, but I think he is somewhat of a comical bully who doesn't really, you know, he doesn't, he never understood the process when he was in there. And now that he's out of power and really has kind of the worst of the worst around him, you know, let's face it, Brad Parscale blew hundreds of millions of dollars and ran a lousy campaign. Thank you, Brad. I am grateful for that. Huh. Republicans did fairly well down ballot. 
I'm, you know, I st am still a Republican. I take exception and don't support people like Marjorie Greene or, or Donald Trump or people who are in that kind of category. But I worked to get more women elected last last year, and they they overperformed Trump, um, women and minority candidates. Uh, I worked on. I'm also on a board for state races, and again. Um, overperformed. They won in Arizona and Georgia and Pennsylvania while Trump lost. We were very worried he would drag them down. But a lot of people said, you know what? I like Republican policies or ideas. I don't like that toxic guy at the top. So why you wouldn't, with the toxic guy at the top, lost and is deposed, get rid of this toxic guy and say, have the confidence of our policies and to go forth and uh, and focus on those and the confidence in a lot of the other leaders we have. You know, people were, you know, very positive in their response to Tim Scott when he did the counter to President Biden's, uh, you know, initial State of the Union um, event. And we have other leaders who've been active, you know, say on like on the anti-American, I mean, anti-Asian hate crime bills We've had you know, some two of the first Republican um, Korean American women out there addressing those issues. We have governors who, you know, like Governor Hogan, <laughs> Governor Baker, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, who I hope will run for Senate because he's somebody who ran double digits again ahead of Trump in a state that Trump lost. So I have the confidence of our ideas and having those debates, and instead of this cult of personality. And it's, I think it's really a laziness on the part of some of these people, particularly those who are in very red districts, who really just have to check a few boxes and say, yeah, I like Donald Trump to win their race, instead of really go out and build their own coalition and say, you know, this isn't about one person. I mean, Ronald Reagan, as strong as he was, never made it about a personality. Abraham Lincoln didn't do that. So far greater uh, men than uh, the former guy um, did not demand this kind of fealty, and it's and it's somebody who's who's weak and and, and just self-absorbed who is doing this, and so I, I don't understand it at, at all. I mean, personally, I, I can't relate to it under any you know how it makes any sense. But, but in the long term, I'm confident that you know, and I don't know, the law is the long term going to be. Um, Trump, you know, this will sort of work itself out of the body politic. I kind of think of the former president as a painful kidney stone going through, or, <laughs> going through the body politic, going through our party. It's not going to kill you. Usually won't kill you, but it's not fun. So I tell people just work harder, build your own coalitions. Those candidates who outran Trump, I, you know, I worked with quite a few of them to just say, build your own brand, build your own coalition. You don't need, you know, fortunately, if, like if you were in California, you didn't need to show up at his rallies because he wasn't having any at Cal in California. So I, but then, you know, he lost the Senate. I, I think, you know, he, I think he squarely gets the blame for losing those two Senate seats in Georgia and the people who got stuck having to appear with him on a rally stage, um, you know, went down to defeat, whereas you had people in California unexpectedly win when they were able to carry their own message and be their own men and women. And that's where I think the future lies. And I just have confidence in the battle of ideas and our principles that surpass, you know, any 
sort of toxic personality that comes along and does that harm. I find that interesting because, um, you know, we hear from Senator Lindsey Graham that the Republican Party cannot win without Donald Trump. And I hear you saying that based, it's not just what you believe, but based on your experience, it is possible for Republicans to disagree with Donald Trump, distance themselves from Donald Trump, and as Republicans still win their races, correct? Oh, uh, very much so. And I think we'll we'll see that bear itself out um, in the coming um, couple of years. And so we'll see who's right on that. But here's the problem where, where I mean, you know, I, as you know, I have friends who did, you know, work either in the administration or with Trump and continue mm -hmm. to be his supporters. We obviously agree to st strongly disagree on the wisdom of that. But, you know, there were people right before the election who were saying, you know, well, we're going to win, but we're going to go after all these people who didn't support us. And that's that's the former guy's grievance politics, all looking backwards, all about himself and just mad that people didn't, uh, you know, worship, you know, at, at the altar. And and that's that's why he lost. I mean, I know people who were confirmed appointees in his administration to the last day who voted against him because they saw how toxic and terrible he was. You know, we know the cabinet members who left and, you know, probably mm -hmm. many of them did not vote for him. And, you know, when you come in with having lost the popular vote in under 50, um, which is what happened to George W. Bush when I, and I worked, as you know, in his administration, we spent those four years adding and trying to multiply our numbers and working with people and kind of, you know, we knew people who weren't going to be with us on 100%. We still wanted them to be our friends. And certainly you never saw George W. Bush, even when he got, when you think of how he got attacked, he was, you know, working on gaining people. And he did in 2004 and got a majority. And so it's funny, you see uh, today or yesterday, the former president's attacking Karl Rove. And I said, well, Karl Rove is a guy who won two presidential races, one of which did win the popular vote. <laughs> and, um, you know, he has, I, I certainly always found his, um, his election advice, uh, you know, very uh, savvy and wise. So, you know, I, I think it's you know, a guy who's a loser who, I mean, He's the reason we lost the House in 2018. It, you know, so many of my colleagues, those of us who lost in 2018, people would literally walk by us at the polls and say, oh, yeah, you're, you're doing a great job. I like you. I got to vote against Trump. So that's why it was so nice in 2020 where they could vote against Trump and still vote for a young Kim or a Michelle Steele or a David Valadeo in California and say, you know what? I don't want to go far left like some of these Democrats are doing. And I certainly think sort of the AOC Bernie wing helped us with that because, frankly, we did do better than expected. Uh, but I do think it's those candidates who really stood on their own two feet and decided to be their own person and work hard to build a coalition. And that's, you know, we are a 50-50 country. So it is a challenge to win the popular vote, but Donald Trump is taking 46.9, starting a civil war among a minority of people. And so even if he wins that 46.9, hey, 80% of them are with me or 70% are with me. That's a double digit loss in a general election. Mm -hmm. so 
there's no math you can do. And that's, it's like, riddle me the math, you know, Batman, you know, it's, um, how do you take 46.9 and divide it by any factor and end up with 50%? You just don't. And there's not any, um, even electoral or with redistricting that gets you to get a presidential win. Now, how things go in redistrict, you know, in redistricting and how people might win seats in particular areas, again, because we're a 50-50 country and we're, we're sort of more now red and blue, I think we're going to have more purple districts after redistricting, so that'll be interesting. But long-term, Trumpism is sore loserism. It's, it's grievance politics, and it's a grievances of, a person, of one man who's you know, now just propagating insane theories that, you know, the election's going to be overturned in Arizona, then we're off to the next state and somehow thinking this is all going to, you know, I mean, he's kind of where the my pillow guy is from what <laughs> of his recent um, analysis. And that, I mean, it's, it's just sad and we right. need to move past it. Uh, before we take a break here, I do have to ask you, what is your take on the role that uh, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy has played in all of this? Are you disappointed that he hasn't stood up more on his own uh, and that he took this action against Liz Cheney? Well, like I said, I think it's it's different. You know, the House and the Senate have approached it differently. You saw the speech that Mitch McConnell made. And, right. and certainly, you know, I mean, myself, I would have been with the guys who voted for impeachment on, you know, House and Senate and and their statements. So but I did, you know, I understand why a lot of Republicans didn't want to vote for impeachment. And that was why you had people like, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell, Leader McConnell saying what he said. So, yes, it's I think it's. Again, I think it's disappointing and, and misguided because I think it would have been better for the party to and the House to at least have had a variety of views on January 6th so that so the people who did oppose, you know, everything that happened there felt like they were still being represented in leadership, but it also wasn't disqualifying. Um, for being a Republican. But the good news is it's not disqualifying in the states. It's not disqualifying for state legislators or for members of Congress. So I encourage people, you know, and candidates and continue to work with them to get out there and and fight back. Because, listen, I mean, you know, if Brad Pascal or Corey Lewandowski or the guys you're running against, these are guys who twice lost, got their guy, you know, all their advice and everything Trump got impeached twice. He lost the House, he lost the Senate, and he lost the White House. I would not be afraid of that machine. And I would trust our principles and ideas and people of character running to prevail against that, which is why I am working with people like Adam Kinzinger and Liz and to, uh, you know, and make sure these people get those 10 people who voted for impeachment get reelected, but also, you know, many others who you know, we're not standing up to this big lie. Fred Upton was out yesterday, you know, denouncing the colleagues who were saying, oh, this is just like tourists that were there. I mean, he came down very hard on that. And Fred's in, in a swing district in Michigan. He is one of the best legislators who's worked on a bipartisan basis, who's done great things on health care. I mean, if you have cancer, there's no better advocate you've had than Fred Upton for you. And these are the people 
who are getting things done and who to me are inspiring. So that's who I'm going to focus on. You know, if you want more Fred Uptons and more Adam Kinzinger's and more uh, Ben Sasses and more Liz Cheney's and Krista Nunu's, then you have to support them. And that's what I want. And that's what I'm going to work on. And we're talking today on the Bill Press Pod with former Congresswoman Barbara Comstock from Northern Virginia. She is also one of those who have launched what is called a call for American renewal. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then find out what that's all about here on today's Bill Press Pod. And today's podcast with Congresswoman Barbara Comstock is brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA. Over half a million members strong under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan. The laborers are those who are so active in the construction field, building new office buildings, new schools, and new infrastructure. Active in the energy area, building everything from old-fashioned pipelines to new solar collectors and wind turbines. And active in the healthcare industry as well. We salute all the members of LIUNA, thank them for their good work, and thank them for the support of the Bill Press Pod, check out their website at liuna, L-I-U-N-A, liuna.org. And we're back on the Bill Press Pod. Our guest today, former Congresswoman Barbara Comstock, who served two terms in Congress representing Northern Virginia's 10th Congressional District, and one of those who signed um, a, an announcement uh, just uh, the end of last week for launching what's called a Call for American Renewal, one of uh, maybe 150 leading Republicans who signed that. Barbara, what is the mission of this uh, new group? As I understand it, it's to either reform the the Republican Party, I'm sorry, and get back to its mission, as you've talked about, based on ideas and policies, or if not, start a third party. Is that it? Well, it's... it's, uh a number of Republicans, former Republicans, and independents who consider themselves center-right. They don't want to be Democrats, but they don't want to be in this cult of personality. And they think, you know, reverence for the Constitution and for the rule of law um, and having a renewal of the party is important on that front. As As it's clear from what I've discussed, I'm in the camp of uh, renewing the party and also having a post-pandemic, post-Trump party. I mean, the the challenge, you know, certainly coming out of this pandemic, we are seeing a lot of challenges for, you know, women in the workplace and how they had to deal with this while their kids were at school, getting kids caught up over the past year. Also the national security threats, whether they come from China or elsewhere, cybersecurity threats. So many of these issues really aren't red or blue. They're kind of what's gonna move us forward. And I think my party, properly, you know, refocused on initiatives and innovation in that area is the party to lead us in the 21st century. So I'm not going to give up. I say to people, I am Catholic. I'm also Republican. Uh, My religion, my faith has, you know, the church itself has some challenges, as does my party. I'm remaining in both camps. And I think it's important to, you know, do everything you can um, and and I, I do, you know, I, maybe a little Pollyanna-ish, but I, I do uh, think that is the, the best way to go because I, I think Trump is, is not somebody long-term. I mean, first of all, he's you know, pretty elderly, as um, uh, Reverend Graham pointed out this weekend, said, hey, he's pretty old. I don't know that he's really going to be. So 
haven't seen a nasty Graham come out against a Reverend Graham yet, but I think you're seeing people, even who were strong supporters of the president, move away. And there was no better example of that than at CPAC when they did a poll of who they wanted to support for 2024 for the nominee. And Trump only got 55% when his own pollster conducted this poll at basically what was a Trump family gathering. You know, those were all, you know, they had a Trump golden calf type thing that they were dragging around there. So if he could only get 55% among the most, you know, sort of slavish devotees, I think there's a recognition even among his biggest fans that he's not, the 46.9% guy isn't the one that's going to get you um, to a majority. So even, I mean, first of all, I think it's morally wrong to have somebody who's done the things he's done lead our party or, you know, lead the country, obviously, but it's also politically stupid. So there's really no reason anymore, whether you're, you know, um, even if it's just you want to win regardless. And, you know, you used to hear, you'd hear a lot of Republicans say, well, you know, the judges, the judges, you got to vote for Trump because of the judges. Well, look what the judges, many of these Federalist Society judges that you and I would fight over. Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> days where we just fight about the Supreme Court and tax rates and things like that. Well, those judges came through and they showed, contrary to what the left said they were going to do and contrary to what Trump said they were going to do, they weren't Trump judges. They were people who were loyal to the Constitution, you know, from the lower court judges all the way up to the Supreme Court. None of them were buying the Trump garbage. And that makes me very proud as a conservative who worked on uh, getting Justice Roberts confirmed, getting Justice Alito. We probably had fights back in the day over those guys, right? I remember. <laughs> yeah. So this is, um, let's have that reverence for the rule of law and respect that these are people who were appointed by Trump, who Trump lauded, and then they said no. So this, you know, we're not going to adopt this. So at a certain point, I think that, and certainly as we go through these cases that are in court now from the insurrectionists and what they were doing, as we have the January 6th commission and seriously look at that and have serious national security um, and qualified people to work on that in the commission, I think you are going to continue to see uh, Trump uh, support erode in the long term, and I mean, even I am hopeful in the um, shorter term, but you know, we'll see. You know, we have elections coming up. I mean, the California um, recall, you know, on Caitlyn Jenner race, you know, where she's very much associated herself with Trump, I think hired some Trump people to help with her campaign. That'll be a test to see, well, does Trumpism turn things around? I don't see that happening. Um, you know, he's supporting, certainly he could support people like he did in 18 when he supported Chris Kobach in a very red state. And we lost the state because he put somebody who was so far out there. Of course, Roy Moore was the best example of that, too. So if Trump insists on these slavishly loyal people who are just far out candidates that even red states or red districts don't want to support, then we'll learn that this is bad, but I'd rather learn that lesson before we lose those seats and move on and get people who can put together that center-right coalition. Do you believe Donald Trump will run for re-election in 2024? I don't, because a two-time loser, two-time impeached guy 
who's, you know, doesn't have a good operation around him. I don't think he will. And I think a lot of it is about just sort of keeping some of this fundraising going, keeping up the attention. But I don't think he will ultimately do it because, you know, he he's he's still such a sore loser. But to lose again, um, there's only uh, so much scamming, that <laughs> telling people that you won when you lost. So I, I think this is all sort of a head fake and, and because he has a lot of pe- the, the remaining sort of dregs that are around him are really are just trying to keep it going in many parts to keep them employed and and having an impact on races and being able to use him in that regard. Who is the who do you see as the leader of the um, the people who agree with Republicans who agree with you? Is it is there one national leader? that people can, you know, flock around and follow? Or are you waiting for that leader to emerge? Yeah, when you're in the minority, you know, that's the time when leaders emerge. So I don't, th- I think for somebody to be the leader who can bring together that center-right coalition, they're going, you know, how do you bring people who were very strong supporters of Trump, very strong opponents of Trump, but we agree on issues. How do you bring those together? I think you know, I mean, Ronald Reagan had to thread that needle. George W. Bush had to do it. Uh, Trump decided not to expand and do that. So it's, oh, you know, it's a challenge of somebody who's a unique leader to do that. So I think we should embrace giving a lot of people that opportunity to, you know, be out there, speak to issues and, and, and see how that comes together. So I don't, I wouldn't put one name on there, but I do think you see a lot of different ones who will have that opportunity to emerge. And I think more and more you're going to see those type of leaders not mentioning the former guy's name much at all. And I think, and I do, I mean, I'm around, I mean, I support Republicans. I'm still around enough of them. And I can tell you, if he went off to an island, you know, tomorrow, there'd be nobody calling or writing back. <laughs> there is not, he is not beloved. He is feared. And I think he's feared less and less. And that will, as he is beaten in various times, but even, even if he divides and wins some primaries or wins, whatever, you know, when he beat Mark Sanford in the primary, he crowed about that. And then we lost the seat. Certainly, he was happy when he won Chris Kobach. See, I endorse, and they win. Well, they win a primary. They got to win a general to make it matter. So that's going to all play out. And I, I don't think, and, and that's why I think he won't run again, yeah. because it'll be obvious that to everyone, even himself, not necessarily the people around him who still want to make money by you know emailing and using his name every day, um, they may want to keep making money on him and tell him, run, run. You know, there's, you know, if you've got a lot, if you can raise a lot of money or have a lot of money, there's always a consultant who will tell you to run for office. So yeah. <laughs> never discount that. I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of wealthy Californians have run Democrat and Republican because their consultants said, yay, I can make money, right? <laughs> you know that, <laughs> how California goes on that front. Oh, yeah. So could Liz Cheney be that leader that you're looking for? Well, listen, you know, I, I think Liz is going to be out there and be a really strong voice, and I support what she's doing, and I think she is a, a leader for history and what she's done and how she's, uh, you know, risked 
her leadership position and her, you know, even her seat in that way. So I, but, but I also think it's going to be, you know, it's a long time before we get to 2024, there's going to be a lot of things going on and, and a lot of so, it, people will have to address. So I think, as she has said, she is going to be part of that coalition. Mm-hmm. And that's, and those are the people that I, I want to associate with myself and I'm happy to have, you know, people who I know are disengaged last time want to come and get involved. Then we also have to make sure, you know, there's a lot of people who have come to the party via different people and we, we want them to stay. I mean, a lot of these people, it's, you know, Trump may be bad, he's toxic, but a lot of the people who feel like, okay, they were being ignored or left behind by the Democrat party we need to have a strong message to them too. And I think that opportunity message and the economic focus of the Republican Party, whether it's you know someone like Tim Scott working a lot on economic opportunity issues, racial justice issues, or you know, um, well, all kinds of people in our, you know, Kristen, Kristen Nunu, Governor Sununu is is very active on that front and I think is a, a great leader. You know, and we, and we have women governors across the country who are doing that. So I think there'll be a lot of voices who will kind of bring that together. And then we'll see how that manifests itself. But to say we can't be a party without one man, it's like, well, we are all mortal. If I know I said, to, you know, if you get hit by a bus, you got to still go on. Right. And no matter how important you are in the body politic, you know, you can always be replaced and will be replaced because, you know, we are mortal beings and that's what happens. <laughs> so do you think Liz Cheney will run in 2024 for president? Well, I, I think it's too early to say. I certainly always thought the first woman president would be a Republican. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for a lot of leaders who strike out in the way that strike, you know, strike out on their own to establish their own voice and speak to the the truth about these issues and how we cannot let these lies go on anymore. I think that's part of it. I think also speaking to the policies of the Democrats that we don't like and why we don't like them, both domestic and foreign policy. I don't want to, you know, I did vote for the tax bill. I want to see most of that stay in place. I actually, ironically, I think if the tax bill stays in place, Joe Biden is probably going to have a pretty good economy and, and get the benefit of it, ironically. But there you go. I think that's good for the country. So I'll, uh, if, if Joe wants to take credit for, you know, the bill staying in place, I'll, I, I think that kind of thing would be good. But, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of issues that a lot of different leaders will get to address and you never know when that moment is where somebody breaks out and kind of brings together a coalition. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. I promise I'll let you go. I just have to ask one question that puzzles me and, and some others, too. In, 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 in listening to you with a very sincere uh, desire to get back to good debate about the important issues of the day and away from this personality cult— and with the trouble that the Republican Party is in right now, why don't you just become a good, moderate, centrist Democrat? We would love to have you. <laughs> the because party. there's, you know, my, my family were Massachusetts Democrats, as you may know. And, uh, you know, I felt the party left me. I mean, I'm for a strong national defense, you know, a strong ally of Israel. I uh, you know, I was a Jack Kemp supply sider, you know, and, and support those tax policies. So 
you know, and, you know, I want to have, but I do want to have a diverse party, um, which I don't think Trump speaks to either, but I think there's a lot of our leaders who do that. So I still feel most comfortable with the policies of my party. It's the personalities that I think need to exit because there's nothing, I mean, Marjorie Green doesn't have any issues she's out there talking about. There are you know, in her district of, you know, what, what will be, you know, almost 800,000 people, there's anybody in the phone book who would be better than she is. So I encourage any Republican, um, and they could be very conservative, even a supporter of Trump, but not be insane, you know? So, I, I, you know, that's where I am. I, there's a range of Republicans I support. I, you know, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, I'll be working, helping on that one. This time, but that's still where you know that's people like me and Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, but also Liz Cheney. I think we have a lot of things in common that we still want to stay in this party and we want to fight for it. Okay, well, if you change your mind, give me a call, <laughs> <laughs> Congresswoman Barbara Comstock. So good to talk to you. Thank you so much, and I'm glad you're still in the mix, still in the fight, and still fighting hard for the uh, issues that you believe in and for our country. Thanks, Barbara. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast with Congresswoman Barbara Comstock. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening. It's always good to have you with us. And don't forget, for some reason, if you haven't already subscribed to the Bill Press Pod, please do so. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, just bring up the Bill Press Pod and then click on subscribe and you are in. And appreciate that very, very much. So again, thanks for being with us. Take care of yourself. Still wear your mask when you're around other people. You can never be sure that they've been vaccinated as well. Be strong, be safe, and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.